This is The Herb Walk with Jessica Baker. On today's episode, we talk to Lisa Ganora, director of the Colorado School of Clinical Herbalism. We discuss fun with chemistry, organoleptics, and cannabis. Join us on today's episode of The Herb Walk Podcast on iTunes. This is Jessica Baker speaking with Lisa Ganora, the director of the Colorado School of Clinical Herbalism and adjunct professor at the Southwest College of Naturopathic Medicine. Lisa has recently written a book called Herbal Constituents, Foundation of Phytochemistry. She has won several awards, which hopefully she'll talk to me about later, in organic chemistry and for her outstanding performance in organic chemistry. So welcome, Lisa Ganora. Thank you, Jessica. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> We're happy to have you here. Um, so to begin, why don't we just talk a little bit about how you got interested in herbalism before we talk about how you became the director of the Colorado School of Clinical Herbalism. I want to give our listeners an idea about how people have different approaches to how they got into plant medicine. And you also have a pretty unique background in science. So if you want to first talk about herbalism and then science or you know, science first, if that was your first love, um, we'd be happy to hear about it. Yeah, well, I've definitely always been a chemistry geek in school, but um, I think what really got me started in the beginning was my dad um, was from a farm family who homesteaded in the Ozarks, you know, it's like southern Missouri, northern Arkansas area. So we used to run around outside and he would do things like, you know, let's go dig up a sassafras root. And, and so there's still, you know, a little bit of remaining folk knowledge in the family. So that kind of got me interested at a young age. And then I was a big horse kid, so I was always, you know, running around out in the woods on my horse, encountering plants and playing with things and not really knowing, you know, too much about formal uses of them. But I did get a little exposure back then. And then I kind of drifted away from that and became an urbanite. And uh, in the early or the mid-80s, I moved out to Cape Cod in Massachusetts. And that was my starving artist phase. <laughs> so, you know, early 20s, you're like, what am I doing with my life? Who am I? What's what's my thing? And so I was trying out a bunch of different stuff and, and being, you know, fairly lost in my progression and whatnot. And I happened to get myself severely addicted to dark Belgian chocolate chocolate, which is, you know, if you're going to be addicted to something, it might as well be dark Belgian chocolate. But um, it was making me kind of sick. You know, I was getting some blood sugar disturbances from it. And I finally noticed, you know, that, you know, half an hour after eating the chocolate, I felt really bad. So I told myself I should stop and I couldn't stop doing it. Which at that point I realized, you know, I had some kind of problem going on. So I had a friend at the time who was in recovery from alcohol and I talked with her about it. And she said to me, you know what really helped me a lot? Dandelion root tea. And I was like, you know, at that point, I was pretty skeptical. I was like, um, you mean like the weed? <laughs> you know, dandelions? That's weird. And she's like, yeah, you know, you make up whenever you have the craving for your, you know, whatever the substance is, you make up a strong cup of dandelion root tea and you just drink it down and then you go and do whatever you're going to do. And instead of this, you know, kind of futile struggling with willpower thing that we get into sometimes when we're trying to stop doing it thing. So I tried it and it was astonishingly helpful, even in my skeptical state, you know, instead of going and eating the whole bar of Belgian chocolate, I would drink the dandelion root tea and sort of it would be easy to resist going there. So that impressed me a lot. And I decided to learn more about this herbal medicine thing and connected up with the Wise Woman Center in upstate New York um, with Susan Weed and all the folks who were teaching back then. And I went out there for an apprenticeship and it completely blew my world open, you know, introduced me to people who had this, this folk knowledge that's just been passed down through the generations about, you know, how to understand the plant medicine, how to meet the plants, how to work with them, what you can do with them. Very empowering sort of experience being up there. And um, so that got me all excited. And after, you know, a few of those encounters, I decided that's what I wanted to do with my life. That was 1986 that that happened. 
And so, you know, I just kind of started following everyone around who professed to be an herbalist because at that point, there really weren't herb, very many herb schools, you know, and we didn't really have the internet either. So it was hard to find people. So, um, you know, I'd find someone who's, who knew anything about herbs and I'd be like, I'll, I'll carry your bucket. I'll dig the hole for you. I'll help you wash those roots, you know, and I just spent a lot of time apprenticing with people. And then I had a kid in 1989, and when she became school age and wanted to go to public school to be with the other kids, I decided to go back to college. So I was living in Asheville, North Carolina at that time. So I went back to the university, and I rediscovered my fascination with chemistry and biology and botany and anatomy and physiology and anything that remotely had to do with herbal medicine. So I did that for four years and really, you know, got back into the scientific side of it after having practiced pretty much like village herbalist and wild crafting and, you know, being with plants in the woods kind of herbalism. And so that was really exciting. Um, and then I, when I graduated in, let's see, what year was that? 2000, I guess, um, or 2001, I decided that I would take that further and start studying pharmacognosy, which is the academic word for, you know, medicinal plant or plant medicine and the constituents in the plants and sort of historical pharmacy and those sorts of things. So I did a lot of um, self-education, uh, reading the textbooks, because there wasn't really a pharmacognosy program at a university anywhere nearby. So I studied a lot of that on my own and started making friends with people like Jim Duke, who was one of the earliest, you know, scientific herbalists who was talking about constituents. And it just kind of snowballed from there. I got, you know, started going around to conferences. And one day I decided there wasn't a good textbook for herbalists on the subject. So I wrote one, um, which is used in schools and universities all over the world now. So, you know, in the process of writing that book, I kind of went further and further down that rabbit hole and be kind of became known as the herbal constituents person, you know. And I did that for a number of years, and then um, I, we moved to Boulder, Colorado area, and I met Paul Bergner, who at that time was running the North American Institute of Medical Herbalism, which is our ancestor school. Um, and I started teaching herbal constituents as a guest instructor at that school. And that went on for a number of years. And in the process of doing that, I started learning more and more about vitalism um, and vitalist Western herbalism and kind of broadened my interests back out again from the herbal constituents back to more, you know, the traditional Western herbalism, um, sort of North American botanical physician level herbalism, things, you know, things that were going on with herbal pharmacy in the 1800s and whatnot. And that, uh, you know, you know, I got interested in a bunch of different stuff that wasn't necessarily closely related to herbal constituents. And then when Paul decided to retire in 2011, um, I became his apprentice and bought the school from him and became the director of it in 2012. So we've been doing this, you know, growing and expanding his original curriculum here um, for four, a little more than four years now. So that's, you know, that's kind of the uh, condensed version of the story anyway. <laughs> that is definitely a condensed version. I feel like we just got like the last 30 years. Right. In that, yeah, like that's about minutes. 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to backtrack a little bit just so we can, I want to ask a couple things. So it sounds like you were science geeky and then you went into um, the wise woman tradition, which I want you to speak about here in a minute. Mm -hmm. And then... Was it your interest in herbalism that got you back into the university to study chemistry or was that you wanted to study chemistry anyway and you just were like, well, I already like plants now, so I'm going right. to study plants or were you like, I'm going back to the university because I want to study the um, phytochemistry in particular? Yeah, so I think, you know, I had been... In, in North Carolina, I've been doing a lot of wild crafting and, you know, putting on events and 
you know, come to North Carolina and, and live with the plants for a week and, you know, wise woman weekend and different stuff like that, um, which was an amazing experience. And, you know, sometimes I wish I could just kind of be that, be that young hippie in the teepee in the woods again <laughs> with no calendar and no internet, but, you know, it was great. Um, but, you know, when my kid got old enough to go back to school, I, you know, I thought it's like, hmm, okay, I was a single mom and, you know, I have the responsibility of taking care of this kid. So can I make a career out of being an herbalist? And it just kind of seemed like a, a, a reasonable thing to do to, you know, explore the scientific side of it because that's one, you know, branch of herbalism Today is sort of more pharmacological and like naturopathic physicians are embracing it. And so I wanted to learn those aspects of it. And I remember there was this one moment, too. I was working in um, the health food store there, which used to be called Dinner for the Earth. And then it became Earth Fair. And um, now it's a, it's a large natural grocery with, you know, an herbal department and whatnot in Asheville. But I was working there and I was looking at all those bottles, you know, and all those different supplements and I would read the labels and, and, and I didn't understand what the words meant. You know, it's like, what's this, you know, L-acetyl carnitine? Like, what is that? What does that mean? Is that, is that real or is that marketing hype? So, you know, I would read these labels and, and I partially understood and I really wanted to understand what you know what are all these different forms of a vitamin is it really true that one's better than another because maximum absorption or you know all this different stuff you see on herbal products and then the rep the representatives would come in you know for the different product lines and they would tell us all this stuff and they'd be super excited like yeah ours is definitely the best and ours is the one you should sell because blah 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 and you know I knew some of it was probably hype and some of it was probably real and um so I wanted to get enough knowledge, you know, about biochemistry and basic biochemistry and nutritional sciences so that I could interpret, you know, what I was looking at on these bottles. So that was one of the inspirations as well. I decided to go back to college and, you know, it was just, it was the right time of my life to do it. And it was just really interesting to me, and I love being in school anyway. I love school. It's it's great that I'm running a school now because I get to be in school all day long. But yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. And I, I was also thinking, you know, what can I specialize in? Because there's lots of herbalists in the Southern Appalachians. It's, you know, one of the hotbeds of herbalism in the country. So, you know, it's like, well, what am I going to do that's different? And I had this facility for science and chemistry. So, you know, I decided to just go in that direction for a while and it, it worked out pretty well. Well, that's great. I mean, I definitely feel like even today, I know it's been a few years since you graduated, but I see a lot of herbalists talking about constituents and myself being included in this category. And yet we only have a vague inkling of actually what we're talking about. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Whereas someone like you, who has actually written a book about herbal constituents, um, really has a much more in-depth knowledge about it. But you also, the way you explain it and the way you talk about, you know, the essence of the plant being in the terpenoids and things like that, um, I feel like it does do a good job of bringing it back the more like earthy, hippie reason why we all wanted to get into herbalism to begin with. Right. Yeah. I mean, it can get awfully abstract, you know. I mean, like whenever I'm teaching an herbal chemistry class, I always, I always like to, you know, icebreaker. I like to say to people, who, who in here is chemistry is your favorite subject? And everybody like laughs, you know, maybe there's like one geeky person in the room and they put their hand up. But a lot of people, they don't, you know, they've struggled with chemistry in high school or the college because of the way that it's taught. It's taught as a very sort of abstract and mathematical discipline. And um, yeah, you get a little bit of hands-on stuff with lab and whatnot, but it's not that meaningful to a lot of people, you know? So when you, when you think about a practitioner, an herbalist or a naturopathic doctor or integrative physician or whatever, who, you know, who wants to have some kind of a pharmacological type knowledge about the herbs, it has to be useful, 
You know what I mean? It has to actually mean something. So I try to take this information, you know, it's like, oh, this plant contains flavonoids and be like, well, what do we know about that? You know, what do we know about flavonoids? Where do we find them in our medicinal herbs and in our medicinal foods? You know, how do we concentrate them? How do we extract them? How do we present them as a medicinal substance to our clients? And what do we know about their physiological actions from research, basically? And you know, how can we make like educated extrapolations about how these contribute to people's health and how we can use them therapeutically? So I think, you know, having a background as a wise woman's tradition herbalist and a village herbalist who's done a lot of hands-on work with plants and then bringing the science and the chemistry into that context has really helped me with being able to interpret the phytochemical information for people in a really practical sense. And another thing that's really cool about that is um, there's this this practice we have. We call it organoleptics. Um, that's a word that basically means you can use your senses, even your sense of touch, your sense of smell, you know, your vision, your hearing, your sense of taste. You can use these senses to learn how to evaluate plants and herbal extracts, and you can start like naming the molecules and detecting the presence and even the concentrations of certain molecules in these materials by, you know, how they smell or how it feels in your mouth or how it tastes or like if it's astringent, how it dries your mouth out or, you know, the colors sometimes give you a cue like the, um, the betalayan alkaloids in beets, which are that intense like ruby, ruby red color that beets have. Um, we know that the betalayan alkaloids from research, we know that they're um, extremely strong antioxidants and they have a lot of ability to regulate excess cell growth so they can keep, you know, healthy cells happy and discourage the growth of abnormal cells. And they have a lot of really interesting properties that have been studied. So we can actually see them because they're strongly colored molecules. And when we see a beet, we'll ju we just know, oh my gosh, there's a high concentration of betalayan alkaloids in that beet. Therefore, you know, it has all these anti-inflammatory and, you know, anti-cancer lifestyle properties and antioxidant, etc. So tying in, you know, a familiarity with the plants themselves with this organoleptic experience is kind of a, a really good way to bridge, you know, the, the knowledge for people between here's the plant, here's the herb, and here's the molecules that are in it, and here's, you know, what we know they do from research. Okay, we're going to take a break right there, because that's a good breaking point, and I really like okay. the way you had to say just about the organoleptics and drawing in the wise woman tradition, too, which, we'll, which I'm going to ask you about here in just a minute. We are back with Lisa Ganora, director of the Colorado School of Clinical Herbalism and author of the book Herbal Constituents, Foundations of Phytochemistry. And we were just speaking about organoleptics, which is being able to understand the constituents in the plants based on their smell and their color and other properties of, uh, that we will use our senses for. But what I want to ask you about is, I mean, you have this great scientific background, so you can think in terms of constituents. And just by smelling something, someone like you can definitely name what constituent it is that you're smelling. But what uh -huh. about people who are more like folk herbalist or into either vitalism or the wise woman tradition or, you know, just basic folk herbalism in general that uh -huh. maybe doesn't have a specific tradition associated with it? Um, how do you bridge the gap between that and how do you find, I mean, obviously there's not one way to study herbalism that's better than another, but for you, have you found one to be more effective with working with clients or just helping you out personally in your mm -hmm. own um, evolutionary growth with the plants? 
Yeah, I would say personally, I'm pretty eclectic with it because, you know, a lot of people who a lot of clients and just a lot of people in general don't relate, you know, that much to the herbal constituents or the scientific side of it. And like, face it, you don't really need that either. People have been doing herbal medicine for thousands and thousands and thousands of years without knowing a thing about chemistry, you know, so it's not it's not I don't think it's really at the core of it. To me, like understanding the phytochemical and the constituents is is kind of like another layer. It's almost like the you know the esoteric knowledge that you get to after you've done all the basic stuff. And I'm really fascinated with it just because I'm like that. But you know, I think where where that becomes the most practical is when you're doing extractions and making herbal medicine, and you have a knowledge of solubility and you know compatibility and those sorts of things. But you know, y- you you don't really need to know this stuff. And like I don't know, sometimes I like to make people laugh. I'd be like, okay, welcome to the next week of absolutely irrelevant to therapeutics, <laughs> you know, <laughs> herbal constituents. And um, that usually gets a giggle. But uh, it, it's there's some truth to it, you know, because the thing is, okay, traditional herbalism in wise woman tradition, um, people actually do this we just don't think about it or talk about it the same way. So, you know, you'd be like, how does a traditional herbalist judge the quality of some herbal material, right? Say you've got some St. John's wort, some hypericum. Um, You know, there are traditions that say things like, when should you harvest the hypericum? And hypericum famously is, um, you know, the peak of the harvest at certain latitudes where some of these traditions come from is to harvest it on summer solstice. Um, because that's when it's supposed to have, you know, its greatest power because it's an herb of the sun and, and all that. Um, and so we would go out, you know, before I learned anything about chemistry, we would go out uh, in the wise woman tradition and we would harvest our St. John's wort and we would take, you know, a certain part of the plant that we had learned from our elders, uh, just the flower buds just right before they open, you know, and try to get the most of those and a little bit of open ones and whatnot. And we would pick it when the sun was really warm as close to summer solstice as possible. And we didn't, we didn't have a chemistry explanation for that, you know. But the interesting thing is, if you you can make the correlation, if you study the constituents of that herb, and, you know, when they have the maximum concentration and a certain phytochemical profile that has been identified as being associated with a really good example of that as a medicinal, you know, therapeutic substance, then it lines up with the traditions, Right. Um, Which is really exciting to me because, you know, people weren't stupid back then. It's just that we didn't know chemistry, you know, but we had keen powers of observation. So we would use the traditions passed on. And we would also another thing we used to do, um, we would squish those buds and see how much red stuff came out. Right. And you wanted to get them when the most red stuff was oozing out of the buds. And because they would be like, that red stuff is the power, you know, that's the, the medicine power of the plant. Well, you know, from, from the other perspective, that red stuff is hypericin, which is, you know, one of the strong phytochemicals that's been, in, you know, been correlated with it, with the activity of it as, you know, a detoxification enhancer and antidepressant, so-called. Um, so, you know, we didn't know what to call that red stuff back then, but we knew that if you got, a, you know, plants at the right, at the peak of their development and you squish them, then you get all that red stuff coming out. And, you know, now we know what to call it and it's been studied. There are literally like thousands of papers published on the chemistry of hypericum. So it's really fun to see, you know, how people who actually had hands on and were working with these plants back in the old days were doing kind of the same thing we're doing when we have organoleptic knowledge and when we have phytochemical knowledge. But, you know, they just talked about it in a different way. Yes. And I love how you say it usually lines up with tradition because I just feel as an herbalist, especially someone who, um, I mean, I, I definitely understand some of the chemistry behind it and it interests me, but from someone who'd rather just go out and sit with the plant and just kind of commune with it and see what it has to say. Um, mm-hmm. It definitely seems like tradition and science back each other up because otherwise I don't feel like as a species we would have progressed as quickly had we not had this deep communication with plants and understood them before 
the discovery of chemistry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Think about traditional people, you know, like even a couple of 300 years ago, it's like your survival depended on your understanding and your ability to integrate yourself with nature, you know, and your understanding of how to grow food and how to harvest and how to preserve and how to hunt and, you know, how to like extract your medicinal plants so you could have them over the winter when people got, you know, influenza or whatever. It's like people had to know this stuff for survival. It wasn't an option. It wasn't an alternative, right? It's like, this is knowledge you had to have. So of course people developed an intimate understanding and relationship, you know, with food plants, with medicine plants, and also an intimate understanding of poisonous plants. It's like, what do I need to avoid? You know, what do I need to not touch or not ingest? So it was, it was really a matter of survival to people. Um, and when you have that sort of evolutionary pressure, so to speak, you get really good at things. You absolutely better be good at things like that. I feel like herbalism and understanding the cycles of nature and understanding the cycles of the plants is also very self-empowering to us. Because in our new paradigm of medicine, you know, the patient or the client or the person has no real say or education about what's going on. And all of that mm -hmm. responsibility is in the hands of the doctors and the pharmacologists. So, I mean, what's your take on just how important it is for us to have this, these relationships with these plants to not only foster a deeper relationship with ourselves, but also to get some of that you know, power back that we've lost mm -hmm. by giving up um, basic things like nutrition and health care. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a huge issue today, right? Because, you know, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of pressure from our society to kind of go with the instant gratification, you know, the instant fix, like, oh, I feel bad, I'll go see my physician, I'll get a pill, and it'll, it'll fix it, and it'll be all better, and I won't have to do anything except pop the pill and pay for it, you know, but a lot of things don't really work that way. We have to take responsibility for developing a main maintaining our own health because, you know, we can't, we can't pay somebody else to do that. They're not living inside our body. You know, we can go and see a professional when we need professional advice, but, you know, nobody else is going to take care of your health for you. You know what I mean? So, and it's so much, there's so many, you know, daily practices and, and long-term things and things you do about your diet that are hugely important for maintaining your health. You know, sometimes there's kind of a, a running joke that goes on about our school. People are like, oh yeah, that's that nutrition school that does herbalism on the side. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, we really put a big emphasis on diet and nutrition because that is the foundation of health. And, you know, every medical system all over the world and every culture knows that, you know. And I think we've just kind of a little bit gotten, not a little bit, but a lot, gotten away from that when we think about medicine in our society. Because, you know, when we think about medicine, we think, oh, I need to go to the professional expert who's, you know, done their eight years of med school and their residency and they know a lot about this stuff. But, um, you know, nutrition and diet is really not that big a part of conventional medicine. But, you know, if you go back and read something like Hippocrates, you know, famous quote, your food, let your food be your medicine. Um, and you see that all over the world. So to me, I don't really see a dividing line between food and herbs. You know, to me, it's like, here's a lot of plants <laughs> that you put into your body and we call some of them food and we call some of them herbs or, or else, you know, if you eat animals, that here's animals that ate those plants that are going, you know, and becoming part of you, part of your structure and your physiology. So to me, I, I really don't see that division between diet and nutrition and herbalism. And I think it's incredibly important. And, you know, that's not something you can just go and get a quick fix from your physician for that. That's something you have to learn. You know, you have to learn about what is good for my body. What's a good way for me to eat? What do I need to avoid? You know, it's like develop a reasonable relationship with sugar, you know, essential oils, essential fatty, I'm sorry, I meant to say essential fatty acids. <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's not a major dietary item. Um, but, you know, 
and you learn about, you know, what's in all these different kinds of fruits and vegetables and edible flowers and medicinal weeds that you eat, like purslane and those sorts of things. Um, but, you know, that's that's like part of part of your life, part of your lifestyle. So the it's incredibly empowering, I think, for people to learn how to actually build and maintain their own health, you know, and then when something goes wrong that's out of, you know, that you need help with, then you go to see your herbalist or your physician or, you know, whoever has expertise in that, in the field that you need. But um, the personal responsibility thing is is huge, you know, and that's a big thing. We spend a lot of time on that at our school. It's like, you know, learn yourself, learn to listen to your body. Learn what it really feels like when you eat that donut or when you eat that bagel or when you eat that bowl of purslane or, you know, whatever. And understand what the, the communication that your body is giving back to you on that. Um, and then, you know, learn how to start adjusting your life and adjusting your diet and your practices um, and the herbs that you use to, you know, to tailor it to your own health. Um, because it's, there's no one size fits all with this stuff. You know, it's not like everybody should eat paleo or everybody should eat vegan or everybody should eat raw or, you know, it's, we're not like that. We're very diverse. So learning to listen to your body and understand your, your reaction and your relationship to all different kinds of foods and herbs and whatnot. I think that's hugely important. And I think that really is very empowering because, you know, when you do that, you take responsibility for your health and, you know, no one else is really going to do that for you. Well, absolutely. And no one else can do that for you. It is up to you. We were just talking about self-empowerment and how important it is to bring the power back to the people through herbalism and through proper nutrition and how it really is up to us to be the creators of our own healthy lifestyle. So for those who might be interested in learning herbalism or wanting to know more about what proper nutrition is, or if they're interested in, hey, what's my constitution? How can I learn more about um, what the right foods or herbs for me might be? What can your program at the Colorado School of Clinical Herbalism offer prospective students? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we have a variety of things going on here. So we have our longer program. So say somebody is like, I want to be an herbalist, then they would start with the fundamentals of herbalism that we teach, um, which is kind of like a first semester. And our second semester is called advanced herbalism, where they go way deeper into it and do a lot of self-experimentation. And um, if they complete that first year and they're really interested in it, they can go on and study advanced nutrition studies, clinical herbalism, flower essence therapy, et cetera. So we have, you know, we have this whole two-year professional herbalism program lined out. And there are also other, um, all kinds of workshops and classes and events and summer retreats and intensives and things like that that also happen throughout the year. So, you know, if you can't do a whole program, you can come to those and start, you know, piecing together your, your different knowledge from all different sorts of stuff, which if you go to our website, clinicalherbalism.com, there's um, an events and workshops page where we list all that stuff that's happening. So, you know, there's a number of different ways to come into it. So with fundamentals, um, we run that as a day program and also as an evening program. So people with day jobs can still, you know, learn to be an herbal list and that's been really popular. Um, our day program is underway right now. So what we do is we start off with two weeks of field botany where they actually get to go out to different places in the area and up in the mountains with our, our amazing field botany teachers, Josh Paquette and Kat McKinnon, who are just brilliant. And they learn plant identification, which is really, really important um, because, you know, it's 
they learn how to identify plants the way botanists do it with botanical keying. Um, so you can get a positive identification on something because obviously we don't want people, you know, making mistakes in that department. And we also teach them about wildcrafting ethics. Like we don't let them harvest anything on any of our trips because, you know, one thing people might get into is like, oh, I can go out there and I can just dig these plants up and, you know, make stuff out of them. And people tend to get over enthusiastic sometimes, let's put it that way. Um, so we put a heavy em emphasis on, you know, the ethics of wild plants about how not to be one of those just grasping, taking sort of people that are going around ripping everything up and, you know, making medicine out of it. Um, so they spend two weeks, you know, and doing like nature awareness exercises. They learn how to sit with a plant. They learn how to do deep observation. They, they have to do this. I love this one exercise they do where they, they, they observe a plant for five minutes and then they have to turn away and draw it without looking at it. And and um, a number of things like that that really teaches you to start honing your observation skills um, out in nature so that everybody loves that. You know, we, they just finished their two weeks of field botany. And now we're going into our sequence that we call integrative herbalism, where we study the physiology of the different body systems and tissues and, you know, how different foods and the nutrients in the foods, the classic nutrients and minerals and vitamins and also the phytochemicals chemicals and, um, you know, the medicinal molecules and whatnot, we start learning how those affect the different body systems, how they've been used historically by, you know, the physiomedicalists, for instance, which is a school of um, botanical physicians that was active in North America in, say, the later half of the 1800s, early 1900s. They were like the herbalist, naturopathic physicians of the day, sort of. So we study a lot of things from their tradition, how they understood and used the herbs. And we also study energetics and constitution in the Western tradition. So in the Western tradition, they, you know, the translation of the word constitution, they would call it temperament, you know, but it's basically the same thing that Chinese medicine is doing, that Ayurveda is doing. It's just a different cultural take on it, um, pretty much. So, you know, we do a little studying of temperament and then the energetics of the herbs, um, which kind of comes from the Greek-Arabic tradition that went up into Western Europe. So it's like, you know, things that Culpepper would say, for instance, like, oh, this, you know, garlic, it's hot in the, it's, you know, hot in the fourth degree and it's dry in the third degree. And we learned those sorts of things and what that really means about the physiological relationship between the plant and the human systems. Um, so we start out with that. We go through the body systems and that's interspersed with studies more specifically on nutrition and herbal pharmacy, hands-on herbal pharmacy. So, you know, they learn how to make tinctures, how to make infused oils, how to make salves, how to extract herbs with honey, how to make elixirs and oxymels and all that fun stuff. So there's, there's quite a bit of hands-on herbal medicine making that goes on as well. Um, and then there's some flower essences classes interspersed in there and some herbs of commerce classes where they, you know, learn about the different herbal products and how they're made and what the labels mean and, you know, kind of the kind of things you would go into the health food store and buy and different brands and stuff like that. So there's a pretty, a pretty nice variety of studies and fundamentals. It's a good, you know, it's a good foundation introduction to professional herbalism. Um, it's a lot of fun. We have a great time. We always get an amazing group of people of all different backgrounds come to school here, which makes for a really lively community that we have. Um, you know, sometimes we get medical professionals or people with various, you know, healthcare licenses come in because we kind of have a reputation as the place to get your concentration in herbal studies. Um, and, you know, we also get people who walk in the door and they're like, I've never done this before. Uh, I don't know anything about it. I'm I'm 65 years old. I'm finished with my corporate career. I've wanted to learn this all my life, you know, or we'll get a few people right out of high school or, you know, so there's a big variety of folks who come here um, and we try to make it interesting for everybody. So that's, that's the fundamentals program that runs August through right before Thanksgiving is the day track and the evening track starts in January. And it runs up until the very beginning of October. So, you know, people do one or the other of those. 
And then probably I would say about 80, 85% of people who do fundamentals are really into it. So they go on and they do advanced, which is where we dig a lot deeper into, you know, the therapeutics and philosophies of vitalism. Um, and that's where you come in and you teach your Chinese medicine uh, module so we can kind of like help them understand the, the intersection between Western and Chinese medicine. And we have uh, an Ayurvedic doctor come in and kind of tie that into, you know, the whole thing. And then we start um, looking at a series called The Roots of Chronic Disease. You know, it's like, how do people get to the point where they have these chronic diseases through, you know, their lifelong lifestyle practices, sleep, diet, exercise, you know, spiritual engagement. Um, we kind of look like, where does this path lead? How do you, you know, how do you get to this place where you've got obesity and high blood pressure and insulin resistance? So we do a, a lot of, you know, looking at the intersection between nutrition and physiology kind of with a, a longer vision and then we start learning how we can redirect you know these practices so that uh, people can regain their health um, so it's a very deep and profound sort of you know way of approaching health it's it's not like you know what it's not and what a lot of people kind of think when they start on this track but what it's not is you're not replacing medications with herbs you know, there's not like the magic herb that's going to magically cure your high blood pressure. It just doesn't work that way, right? So it's it's more like it's a it's kind of like let's re-educate the body so that the wisdom inherent in the body is allowed to flourish, you know, and cure itself basically because we have you know there's naturopathic naturopathic physicians. You know, it's like the healing power of nature is, is kind of the central idea there, is if we remove obstacles to cure and supply the tools that the body needs to heal itself, then that's what the body's going to do, right? So it's a very sort of, it's a sort of deep level approach to herbalism rather than, you know, the sort of allopathic substitution idea that um, it'd be nice if that worked, but it usually doesn't, so... <laughs> Right. And I feel like for us herbalists and people that are interested in, you know, complementary or traditional medicines, whatever word we want to put on it, is we don't want just some doctor to give us something to tell us that, like, take this and this is going to be cured. We actually want to look deeper and to go deeper and to understand, okay, well, what's the root of the issue, whether that be physical or emotional or, mm -hmm. you know, Genetics, whatever the reason is, right. we, at least the people that I know that have searched out herbalism, we actually want to not only be self-empowered and to know that we can heal ourselves, but um, mm -hmm. it's, you know, we want something deeper. We don't want just a pill to, and, a, and a quick fix because we know that's not going to last, but it's also not, it's like serving our higher soul or something. It's not making us feel any better about ourselves. Whereas taking herbs and really learning about our relationship with the rest of life on earth, especially uh -huh. the plants, um, you know, I just find it way more deeply satisfying for me and for the other people I know that work with herbs. Uh -huh. um, yeah, I mean, it's that the relationship is kind of, that's a big key, you know, because like in our society, we're, we're sort of trained to think, you know, there's humans, us, and then there's this other thing out there that's called the environment, <laughs> you know, or, or nature, you know, it's kind of like this other thing that we can go to on, you know, holiday weekends or whatever. But actually, you know, that's not reality, we are nature. We are a subset of nature. You know, we're mammals. It's like we are breathing that air out there. <laughs> that air is coming into our bodies and, you know, whatever toxins and pollutants that are in that air are becoming part of us and part of ourselves. And that's affecting our health profoundly. And that water we drink, that is like, you know, we wouldn't live for a few days without the water and for a few moments without the air. And whatever in that water, that's affecting ourselves 
cellular metabolism that's affecting our health. Um, and the same thing with all the food that we eat. You know, if we're eating a depleted diet with a lot of sugary processed foods, that is what is becoming part of our physiology. So there really, there's no separation between us and nature, us and the environment. You know, we're all one huge system and whatever's happening out there is also happening in here. So, you know, I think learning to work with the, the medicinal foods and the diet and the herbs and the herbal medicines, it's really a way to bring that awareness, you know, back to what we're doing because, you know, it's like pharmaceuticals have definitely have their place. And, you know, I'm glad most of them exist and sometimes they save your life and everything. But you have to look at like, what is that substance? Where has it come from? You know, it's something that we very carefully manufacture, you know, in a, in a very sophisticated, high tech, you know, chemical laboratories and manufacturing facilities. Um, that's and, and then but what happens when we do that? What else is, you know, what are the waste products that are being made? What's the energy that's being used? What effect is that having on the larger environment that includes our bodies? You know, so that's really different than going out into your garden and like digging up some lovely burdock root that you've, you know, allowed to thrive there and, and bringing that out and making that into your medicine. And then, you know, what are the waste products of that process? Compost, um, <laughs> you know. So you, you have to keep, when you look at the really big picture about the relationship between the human, the plant, the medicine, the environment, the water, the air, the soil, you know, all the, all the commensal organisms that are involved in plant growth. It's really a way of like stepping back into our place in nature and becoming a part of that whole, you know, amazingly beautiful complex system rather than removing ourselves from it with technology and then expecting the technology to fix a natural problem like a disease. <laughs> That's very well said. And I didn't even think about the, um, you know, the byproducts of the pharmaceutical industry. I, when I think about, you know, why I don't think the pharmaceutical industry has our best interest at heart, you know, I just think that they're just trying to make money off our disease and not actually cure it. I wasn't even thinking about the fact that um, the byproducts of even making the pharmaceuticals and how detrimental they can be to our environment. So mm -hmm. thanks yeah. for reminding me about one more reason why it's so important for us to use um, herbal medicine when we can. Because like you spoke, right. obviously some pharmaceuticals are absolutely necessary. But um, if we can have a more natural approach um, as a first line of defense and prevention, it just makes sense right. that that's what we would do since we have co-evolved with these plants since, you know, since we've been yes, here on this planet. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, you know, and it's like, I, I'm definitely not an anti-technology person. I mean, I love my laptop. <laughs> what would I do without it? And, you know, I use pharmaceuticals when it's appropriate. And I've had my life saved a few times by antibiotics, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, they, they have their place, but it's like, we, we can't just get tunnel vision on that. You know what I mean? We can't be like, this is medicine and this is going to fix us and this is all we need and this other stuff is just a bunch of old wives' tales or whatever. It's, you know, that's not reasonable. That's not recognizing the fact that we're part of nature and, and we live on the earth. And what I, what I find like really exciting about being alive right now, despite all the crazy chaotic problems that we have and, you know, global warming is a huge crisis, et cetera. But what I find really exciting is like people are getting it that we are part of nature and especially the younger people, you know, I'm, I'm closer to 60 than I am to 50 now. But I look at these, these young people that come to school here, you know, they're in their 20s and 30s and they get it. It's like, I don't have to preach to the choir, you know, they, they understand how we have to really return our awareness to like being a functional part of nature 
nature instead of a dysfunctional part of nature. And, you know, that's the bigger picture of what we're doing here is we're helping to reconnect people back into being, you know, nature as your community. You know, the plants, the, the medicinal plants and the foods as your community that you're part of. Um, and, you know, it's it's just doing the, the herbalism is one facet of that, I think, that people are getting more and more interested in and more and more excited about. Um, and, you know, they're coming to school here and that's that's kind of our big underlying mission is like, hey, remember, <laughs> we are nature and nature can heal. So this is Jessica Baker speaking with Lisa Ganora, the director of the Colorado School of Clinical Herbalism and the author of the book Herbal Constituents, Foundations of Phytochemistry. And we were just speaking on how important it is um, to remember that we're part of nature, that we are at one with everything um, in our universe, whether it be, you know, plant, animal, mineral, you know, cosmic, all of those fun things we like to talk about. Um, But a big part of the program at the Colorado School of Clinical Herbalism is this um, vitalistic approach to herbalism. So can you tell our listeners a little about vitalism, just so they have a better idea of um, some of the philosophies they may learn at your school? Yeah, it's um I love I love talking about this because I had this I had this aha moment I, in 1997 when I went back to college. I went to, you know, biology 101. I was all super excited. I got my biology textbook and, you know, I open it and in the introduction, the first thing they said, I'll never forget this. The first thing they said is, you know, I'm paraphrasing obviously, but they were like, "Um, so people used to think there was this special thing called the vital force." And and that's what made living beings different, you know, and and people used to think that, you know, this vital force was what made organic molecules different from like not, you know, just physical chemistry stuff. Uh, but now we know there's no such thing. <laughs> it's all physics. It's very complicated physics, but it's all biophysics and it goes on, you know. And I, I read that and I'm like, that's a really interesting thing to start a textbook off with. Why did they do that? So, you know, I started learning something about the history of medicine. And, uh, and over the years, I, I keep revisiting that thought. And, you know, I think uh, that's like kind of one of those major branch points in our cultural evolution is where we took this thing called spirit, you know, or life energy or the life power or the vital force or chi or whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and we kind of set it over in this department of not science, you know? So this is this thing people believe, but it's not really real. And over here in the really real department, we have, you know, biochemistry and physics. And, and so we'll follow that as our truth and we'll just kind of leave this other stuff up to the religions or whatnot. And, you know, there's this big division there. When I look at that, when I think about that, I think that's an artificial division. And the reason I say that is because, um, you know, the, the vitalism, it's like what vitalism focuses on is the integrated life being, right? Now, a living being has this, whatever you want to call it, this life energy, and whether that's like a higher level metaphorical way of talking about it or whatnot, um, it's a real thing, you know? It might not be its own force, like gravity's a force, electricity's a force, you know, the strong and weak forces, nuclear physics or whatever, but it's a thing um, that we can engage Uh, as healers and as herbalists for therapeutic success. Like everybody knows, like think about, you know, the last time you fell in love, like how, how much energy you had, you know, it's like, Oh, in love, this person is amazing. It's like, we don't even need to sleep at night. You know, let's do this. Let's go here. Everything is beautiful. The colors are better. I'm in such a good mood, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, you can, you can come up with hormonal and biochemical correlates of that, but really, you know, that's like a, a, a blooming and a gushing of the life 
energy and the enthusiasm for life and the creativity and the healing power. And then, you know, contrast that to something like, you know, the last time you were really depressed and exhausted and things were just all, go, you know, nothing was going well and you didn't have any energy and you catch every cold that comes along, you know, and you get sick over and over again. And, you know, that kind of thing where your life energy is really low and, and really down and really drained. And you can see how, how those things line up with health, right? So one of the foundational principles of vitalism is, you know, support and encourage and, and nourish and enhance the life energy, you know, and that's so, so we, you know, some, they were fond of calling the life energy, the vital force in the 1800s, because that's when everybody was like learning about electromagnetism and, you know, the force of gravity and chemical forces and whatnot. So they just called it the vital force as if it were like, you know, something you might be able to measure or whatever. But um, I like to call it the life power. I think that that translates pretty pretty well. Um, so what we do is, as vitalist herbalists and nutritionists and, you know, with our therapeutics is it's like we don't try to treat, you know, Western disease entities. We try to cultivate the life power, you know, and whether that's done through, you know, helping someone, you know, be able to connect more with nature or to, you know, to actually start moving their body to get more exercise by having them, you know, do a 20-minute nature walk every day or having them reconnect with the life power in organic vegetables by gardening or, you know, going to work on a farm or, you know, having them enhance their own life power by connecting with the life power that's in, you know, the herbs and different things like that. So it's a really powerful way to approach healing, I think, is to tap into that universal, you know, enthusiastic, blooming, creative energy that's at the core of a living being um, and to really, you know, tie that energy in, in ourselves, inside our own bodies, to tie that in with the life energies in our food and, you know, the life energies in our medicinal plants um, and just bring ourselves back into, you know, the great connection there. Um, I think that's really what's at the core of vitalism. Like I said earlier, remove the obstacle to cure and supply the tools that the life energy or the life power needs to do the healing. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of ways to talk about vitalism, but I think that's really kind of the big core of it. Well, that was a great description. And it just really mirrors like Chinese medicine and so many other, um, you know, ancient healing traditions where it really is about um, your life force energy and using the right foods and medicines to get your body back into the proper, you know, alignment for whatever frequency, you know, mm -hmm. that you want to resonate on as opposed right. to, yeah, let's just treat this disease and a more allopathic method um, that even some herbalist and Chinese medicine practitioners are kind of starting to go to. So I love it that your school is really getting back to that source and back to um, understanding that it is our life force energy or our chi Mm -hmm. That or, or what did you call it? The life power that really is going to perpetuate us into our, um, I don't know if you want to say your highest self or your optimal health or whatever it is you want to put on it. It really is going to be the catalyst for what um, helps us evolve as um, as a person. Yeah, I think it's yeah, it really is the core because, you know. Even, you know, this is studied scientifically. It's like, what's the strongest correlate to your health? The strongest correlate to your health is like your happiness in your relationships and your place in community. You know, if you have a really good, solid community situation going on, you're getting along with people and people are supporting each other and doing fun things together and, you know, and your personal relationships are good, that's a better predictor of your health than anything, including diet, exercise, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, it's like, it's kind of like in our modern world, we're in a big hurry for all these reasons. We want to kind of just skip to you know, you know, step 15, <laughs> which is like, take the herb or take the medication or whatever. But, you know, we have to, we have to start at the foundation and that's what we build our health on is this foundation of, you know, you know, 
following our calling, our spiritual development, our relationships, our emotional happiness, our community involvement, our relationships with nature, with the environment. So, you know, here we're like, okay, let's start with the foundation and then we'll build on that, you know, and we'll look at that energetically, spiritually, and we'll also look at it with with modern science because, you know, these are all things humans can do. So um, in that sense, it's very holistic approach. And as someone who has taught at your school, I will say it is a very holistic approach and that I do appreciate um, as someone who is interested in some Western medicine that you do a good job of integrating um, all of it together. So, um, yeah. So thank you for everything you're offering, not only, only to Boulder, but to everyone else from around the world who can come to your program. Um, right. So if you want to give the listeners any contact information for your school or how to buy your book or anything else, um, mm-hmm. we'd be happy to hear it. Okay, yeah. So if you're interested in the book, uh, our website is herbalconstituents.com, and you can go there and just order them right off the internet. And we're also doing a really interesting herbal constituents intensive where people, and you don't have to be signed up for the school or anything, you can come. um, We're doing a whole week in October. The dates are October 17 through 21. Um, So we're just going to dive into herbal constituents in the context text of botanical medicine. So we'll have all kinds of fun stuff to play with and demonstrations and exercises to participate in. But we're also going to go over, you know, solubility and extraction, synergy and herbs, all kinds of molecular fun. And we'll talk about the different categories of constituents and their therapeutic significance and what plants you find them in and different stuff like that. So that's going to be a really, you know, if that kind of thing interests you, that's going to be a really great sort of saturation experience. So for more information on that as well as on our other programs and our super awesome guest teachers that we're having coming in over the next year to do different specialty things, you can go to our website, clinicalherbalism.com and, you know, poke around in there to see things about our regular programs. And then um, our workshops page will have our special events listed. You can also call the office during regular business hours of our school here in Boulder, um, which is 720 720- 406-8609, 720-406-8609. And uh, anybody who answers the phone there will be happy to give you more information about what else we're up to. Well, great. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. This was a great conversation, and I really look forward to being able to take your herbal constituents class, if not in October, hopefully the next time you offer it, because I'm sure you'll offer it again. But yeah, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate everything that you do. Thank you. It's been really fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Herb Walk with Jessica Baker. And thank you, Lisa Gonora, for joining us and enlightening us on how chemistry is totally acceptable and fun for us herbalists. Download this episode and more of the Herb Walk podcast on iTunes today.